continue our series, Signature of Jesus, looking particularly at Jesus today as our hero in doing justice, loving kindness. Two passages, first from the Gospel of Luke, beginning in chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable about those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And then Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, so that, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. The man writes, God can get pretty small if you're not careful. I'm certain that all of us have an image of God, an image to which we return time and time again, especially when we've been at a distance from Him. Maybe a controlling principle in your own life, an image that you have of God. When you pray, probably most of you have an image of the God to whom you pray. This man said, I have one. It's an image that came to me out of the experience of a dear friend whose father was sick with cancer and was dying. My friend decided to take a leave of absence from his job and really from his life spend time with his dad. Though his father's body was wasting away, his mind was alert, so they had good conversation. Every night he'd tuck him into bed, 
In the morning, he'd wake him up, carry him from the bed to the bathroom and give him a bath. The man said it was like a role reversal. When I was a baby and a young boy, my dad used to do the same thing for me, and now I was doing it for him. I'd feed him, give him his medications, do the laundry more than I thought I would. Often I'd have to clean up after him. The routine seemed endless, but it was all worth it because it was for my father. Every night I'd tuck him into bed and, and we had a procedure where I would read and he would fall asleep. Sometimes it was a magazine, sometimes it was the Bible, sometimes it was a novel. And so I'd tuck him in, I'd get the book and he'd smile at me. And I'd start to read. And he'd keep smiling at me. I'd be exhausted from the day's work. And so I'd say to him, listen, Dad, here's the deal. I read you sleep. Now close your eyes. Close them. And then he'd close them. I'd read a few sentences and one eye would pop open. And then the other, and a huge smile would launch across his face. And I'd get angry. I'd say, Dad, you sleep. And he'd smile and close his eyes, and the same thing would happen. Within a minute or two, he'd open them up. He said that went on every night for four months until he died. He said, I never got too angry at my dad because I realized that this ritual was really the story of a father who couldn't keep his eyes off his son. Have you ever thought of God like that? Anthony DeMello says, think of him this way. The one beholding you is your father who's in love with you. Years ago, a woman with four children all under the age of 12 started attending a church in Virginia Within a short time, everybody in the church who was perceptive realized that she didn't have much. They could tell from her tattered clothes, and they could tell for the lack of shoes on the kids' feet. And so gently and carefully, a couple of people from the church began to ask, how are you doing? Do you have any needs? She'd hesitate. Then she'd talk a little bit, and some people began to do little things for her. But after a time, the deacons got involved. The deacons went to her trailer and saw that there wasn't much. And so they made a decision that for three months, they would pay all of her bills. So that the little money that she had coming in could help her catch up. Because her husband had left long ago. She was a single parent, didn't have much money coming in. But after three months of paying every one of her bills, they found out that she didn't have any left, no money left. And they began to inquire 
as to why, and they discovered that she was buying junk food, taking her kids to restaurants on a regular basis, and then she went and did the unthinkable. She bought every one of those kids a bike. And this one deacon is livid. And he begins to shout, no more help for her! And the pastor said, no, listen. The Lord is on the side of the poor and the needy. He calls us to do justice and love kindness. And then the deacon said, that's the Old Testament. That's not Jesus. Jesus is all about saving souls, not helping the poor. After all, wasn't it Jesus who said, the poor you'll have with you always? Now that deacon wasn't a theologian. Deacon wasn't a Bible scholar. But you know something? That deacon wasn't just sharing a personal opinion. He was speaking from his heart. The heart that every one of us has. Our basic natural human heart is to say, I'm not going to give to people who waste it. Last week, two different people at two different services came up to me afterwards and said, you know, that's where I used to be. But when you preach this week about Jonathan Edwards and the four excuses for giving to the poor and how he annihilated all of those excuses, I discovered again that God does not hold me accountable for the outcome. He holds me accountable Forgiving. Now where did he get that? Where did those people get that? They got it from Jesus. That deacon said, that's the Old Testament, but according to Luke, doing justice and loving kindness is the signature of Jesus. In fact, according to Luke, Jesus had a perfect, generous And the same Holy Spirit that created it in Jesus creates it in the people that Jesus saves. So let's dig in. First of all, notice the appeal. Look at verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now get the scene. Earlier in the chapter, Luke tells us that the rulers and the high priests of the people, they are ticked off at the, at the apostles, and so they lock them in prison. And during the night, an angel comes and surreptitiously releases them from prison. The reason I say surreptitious or secret is because even the guards don't know that they're gone. Because in the morning, Luke says, when they come to get the captives and bring them to trial, no, none of them are still in jail. Where do they find them? They find them back in the temple where they arrested them, teaching the people. But it's not the jail that concerns me today or the jailers. What really concerns me is what the angel says when the angel releases them from prison. You find it in verse 20. I didn't read it, but listen to it. The angel says to them as he releases them from this prison, go and stand in the temple 
and speak to the people all the words of this life. Go and speak to the people all of the words of this life. And it prompts the question, what life? And if you have certain translations, it'll even capitalize the L, which is a hint. Go stand in the temple and proclaim the word of this life. What life? One of the best things to do whenever you get a question like that is to check the scriptures. And when you do, you will find that 36 times in the New Testament, the word life is a synonym for Jesus. In John chapter 1, think of it. John, the youngest disciple, the beloved disciple, the one who's been released from prison by this angel, this John in chapter 1 says, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Then five chapters later, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Later he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you discover that 36 times in the New Testament, the word life describes the essence of Jesus' ministry. And what was that ministry? To redeem a company of people in whom he would place his spirit so that they might bear witness to a new kind of life. A life lived in him. You say, what kind of life is that? What is the essence of the life to which Jesus has saved you to? I'll tell you. It's a life with people. For people, by the power of another. See, that's the essence of what Jesus did. He redeemed you so that you would live a new life. A life with people, for people, by the power of another person who is God himself. Second, notice the acclaim. Look at verse 31. God exalted him, Jesus, at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now, the Greek word there that's translated leader in the ESV is really translated a little weakly. Actually, this is the strongest word in Greek for authority. Actually, what is being said here is God has exalted Jesus to his right hand as ruler and savior. In fact, the same word is used by Jesus to describe the pagan rulers who rule over Israel. And what is this ruler, Jesus, saying to those that he rules? He says to us, I am concerned about you loving justice, or loving kindness and doing justice. Remember what John the Baptist did when he was locked in prison? The Bible tells us he was concerned. He began to doubt. And he sent his disciples to Jesus with a question. Are you the one who was to come or should we go on looking for another? Do you remember what Jesus says in answer to that question? Now get this, John the Baptist, his cousin, is in jail and he's wondering, is he really the Messiah? Is it really true? 
You know what Jesus said to those disciples? You go back and tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind see. The lame walk. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news preached to them. Meaning what? Meaning if you really want to know me, you've got to know my heart. You've got to know my eyes. You've got to know my feet. You've got to know my soul. And they all gravitate to the vulnerable. I love what Eugene Peterson, how he describes the Christmas, the incarnation. He said God moved into the neighborhood. I mean, that's a kind of a cool way that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God moved into the neighborhood. What kind of neighborhood was it? It was a poor neighborhood. It was a neighborhood filled with the ostracized. It was a neighborhood of the broken. It was a neighborhood of the needy. That's the neighborhood into which Jesus moved. Third, notice the announcement. Look at verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey. Now think of what he's saying here. What he's saying here is everything you see us doing and everything you hear us saying is not from us. It's from him. Years ago, Brennan Manning and his wife were walking through the French Quarter in New Orleans. Or as they say at Nolens. And this young girl, 21, ran up to them and pinned a carnation on both of their lapels with a big smile. And then she asked for a donation to her mission. And Brennan said to her, what's your mission? She said, it's the Unification Church. He said, oh, that's Dr. Sun Young Moon's church. So you're a Mooney. She smiled and said, yeah, I'm a Mooney. He said, what's your name? She said, Susan. He said, instantly I thought she had two strikes against her. She doesn't believe in Jesus as Lord. And she's a naive, vulnerable kid who's been brainwashed by a cult. But then he said, I said to her, without thinking, Susan, I deeply admire your integrity and your fidelity to conscience. You're out here tramping the streets of this French Quarter for something you believe in, and you are a challenge to anyone who claims the name Christian. And at that moment, Brennan Manning's wife spontaneously hugs Susan. And then Brennan, Brennan hugs them both. And this girl is overwhelmed, and she said, Are you Christians? And they both said in unison, yes. And then Brennan said, Susan lowered her head and the tears began to hit the pavement. A couple of minutes later after she sobbed, she said, I've been on these streets for eight days. And you are the first Christians who have been nice to me. The others have looked at me with contempt. Some have said, you have a demon. One woman even hit me with her Bible. And then Brendan Manning said, you know, when we pray, 
thy kingdom come. What do you think we mean? We're asking for his loving kindness to come. We're asking for his justice to flow through us. We're asking for a way of tenderness that knows no labels and no compartments and no divisions and walks in the same manner in which we Get this? Fourth, notice the anger. Verse 33. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And instantly I think to myself, I've seen this movie. Isn't that exactly what they wanted to do to Jesus? What is it about doing justice and loving kindness that infuriates those who are in power, those who have? Why is it such a threat? Well, I thought about it this week. I don't think it's so much a threat to their life because they can go on living any way they want. I think it's a threat to their concept of God. Remember a few weeks ago we said that in biblical times, every other culture that worshipped the gods always would say that their gods was on, were on the side of the elite. Their gods always moved in the direction of the poor and, or the, the rich and the powerful and the smart. Every other culture had gods. And those gods were always propping up people in power. So to criticize the powerful was to take on the gods. But listen to what God says. Jesus, who is God. He said, when you give a dinner party, when you give a banquet, don't invite the rich. Don't invite your relatives. Don't invite those you know. Invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they can't repay you. Now why is that a blessing? Not to be repaid. Because it's an expression of grace. Grace is always a blessing. To the one who receives it. The one who gives it. You know, grace always flows downhill. For it to be grace, it has to be one way. Grace never receives payment for it ceases to be grace. See, according to Jesus, you don't invite those who can invite you back. For if you do, you might think that you deserve an invitation. You might think you deserve something in return. Think of Jesus. When he gives a banquet, he did in the upper room. He does every time we remember to come to his table. He does in heaven 
He has a banquet table set for you. Think of what he received in return for that invitation. Who did he invite? He invited the poor and the broken and the crippled and the lame and the blind. That's me and that's you. He invited us to his banquet. He didn't invite those who were rich. He invited the poor. And what did he get for it? He got the cross. No wonder Paul's last words to his beloved Ephesians were these. In all things I've shown you, we must help the weak, the poor. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, Paul knows that for the Christian, your view of God can get awfully small. You can begin to think that God owes you something. You can begin to think of God as far less than a father who can't keep his eyes off you because of the signature of his son. Behold the one who beholds you. Loves you. Gives incessantly to you. And he calls you and me to do likewise. So that we can experience the joy of a grace that always flows downhill. Think about that.